2: in the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
3: This podcast is powered by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler.
1: Everyone should take a multivitamin. It's important to choose one that is high quality. With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're choosing 75 vitamins, Minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to help start your day right. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, or artificial anything. Plus, it costs less than $3 per day. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially during the cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sports Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sports to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. ColorCast is a live, audio-only sports talk platform. It's free to use and free to download. Talk to other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app in the iOS app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter account, join the league, and come up your spiciest takes. This year marks the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And in this episode, I had the honor of interviewing that one but two trailblazers of the women's game, Trish Roberts and Liz Galloway McQuitter. They both got scholarships to play college basketball because of Title IX, and also played in the first ever women's professional basketball league, the WBL. Liz played at UNRV and then played for the WBL team, Chicago Hustle. Only being 5'9", she almost averaged a double-double. She also led the WBL in steals and is nicknamed the Bandit. Trish played for the University of Tennessee and was Pat Summit's first African-American player and first All-American. She was also a member of the historic 1976 Olympic team the first women's basketball team to participate in the Olympic Games. Trish played for the WBL team, the Minnesota St. Louis Tree. She is in several Hall of Fames, including the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Both Trish and Liz have been head coaches at the Division One level. As members of the WBL, they were inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame as trailblazers of the game. I thoroughly enjoyed being in the presence of women's basketball royalty, and you will too. This is a two-part interview. It is my privilege and honor to have not one, but two fierce trailblazers in women's basketball and WBL legends, Trish Roberts and Liz Galloway McQuitter. Welcome to Stay Fierce, guys.
3: Hi, Val. Glad to be here.
1: Every superhero has their origin story. And for me, in the early 80s, girls, at least where I lived, weren't really playing sports. And I wanted to be a cheerleader, but I got cut. And my math teacher asked me to join a team. What got you guys (laughs) into basketball?
3: Well, I I come from a family, almost everybody's tall. Oh. And I watched all my brothers play, my sisters play. And so it was just a natural thing for me to just fall in line and play as well.
2: What about Well, you? I'm from a small town in Texas, Rockdale, Texas, and girls basketball was big in Texas. Hmm. Uh, so it was just what we did. Uh, and I know a lot of schools uh, didn't have the resources and didn't have... Uh, girls teams but we did and i I would like to say too though that our neighborhood was full of athletes it's a small town but but we played softball we played basketball we played football we ran track around the block um and so we grew up being in sports and being active my mother used to my mother bought us a basketball goal every christmas we'd get a game Uh, i saw i played volleyball croquet croquette and uh so in junior high, we just went out for the team, and that's how I started playing.
1: Did you play other sports in in school besides basketball? I know you said you played in the neighborhood. With, with yes, I
2: ran track. I, I I have regrets for not playing volleyball, but I did. I ran track. You had to do two sports, so I ran track and played basketball.
1: What about you, Trish?
3: Yeah, I ran track as well. I played tennis and I was in the marching band.
1: Marching band.
3: Yes, I played the B-flat clarinet.
1: No, do you still
3: play now? <laughs> no, I haven't touched that thing since I left school, high school.
1: Wow. <laughs> so did, what was your favorite song to play?
3: Um, well, I played first clarinet, which meant my notes were higher. And so we had a concert and I we, I had the solo part, the Londonderry Air, I think was the name of the song. London area yeah and so I got embarrassed because I was trying to hit those high notes and my clarinet (laughs) kept squeaking (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I made it through
1: so there was no doubt it was you oh man (laughs) yeah I played the clarinet for a little bit but I was elementary school you guys make me feel lazy because I didn't do anything but play basketball (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <It's cool. laughs> well you spent I, I can remember,
2: today
3: val <laughs> i can remember one uh one meet we had a tennis match and a track meet the same day and so while i was waiting for my my tennis match they would call my event i'll never forget it, it was a 4 40 oh my uh, goodness and so i ran down on the track and won the 440 and went back up to the tennis court.
1: That is crazy.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, I will never... my kids I ran kid complained, like, we, You ran the 440? Yeah. 440.
2: We and then I was on 400 the... 400 meters. Yeah. 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 yeah.
3: And then I was on, also on the 400 meter relay team. Yep, me too. And so...
1: You, you went back to play your tennis match. Was it singles or doubles?
3: Uh, well, I played both. I played the number one spot in tennis, and I played the. Oh, I was on the number one doubles team too. Actually, I, my freshman year in college, I played tennis.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. You guys are just some
3: great athletes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they used to call me Rubber Girl. Nothing
1: could get by me at the net. <laughs> they got rubber girl okay You you were the bandit we sound like a bunch of superheroes (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: you know I always at the time uh, when I would steal the ball it was a lot of things I just did naturally and then as I got older you know and then in college um, I realized there was an art to stealing the ball so, you know, it wasn't just something that, oh, you get a steal. I, I set out to get a steal. I got steals in transition. I got steals off the dribble in the passing lane. Uh, so there's an art to it, and there's ways you can get it, get a steal in different situations, ripping it out of people's hands. You know, people get really relaxed. With it. So it became um, a, a big part of my game when I was in college, and then that just spilled over into the WBL.
1: So in the WBL you averaged four steals a game were your stats mm-hmm. similar in college?
2: Uh yeah, similar. Similar I don't know if I averaged four but probably two or three steals a game wow. maybe. Mm-hmm. But like I said I was just starting to realize that there was an art to stealing the ball. So, you know, that just I knew what I <laughs> so was So you were being transition. defensive
1: player of the year both stats. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, for real. Those are major stats, especially only being 5'9 and almost averaging a double-double. I mean, that's like, if yeah. you guys were playing now, you would be all-stars. You'd be having the endorsements. You'd be having the huge social media following. You know, I, I felt, I was having this yeah. conversation today with someone. I felt I was born. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel blessed, and I know, God wouldn't have any other way, but sometimes I'm like, "What if I was born in this era? What would I be doing? You know, how would I be when I have that that NIL money that the kids are getting now? That are playing. Oh
2: yeah, you, you know, know what I mean. And that's
1: all.
2: That's all the more reason they should be appreciative of of the steps that have been taken every era. And if there's one thing, and to that, I want to go back to the rebounding though. And Trish will attest to this. Who is uh Trish was that. Uh, transitional post player you know they could fly down the floor just lean and athletic but i will attest trish you'll probably attest to this we took rebounding i think a lot more seriously at all the positions so it was Mm -hmm. not um it was Mm -hmm. nothing unusual to see people averaging double doubles they talk about it nowadays Mm -hmm. but we all Mm -hmm. rebounded and we were taught to box out so so it's just like i said stealing the ball was a science it became a science to me so did rebounding so against i'm going up against bigger opponents you have to box out and position yourself and offensive rebounding there's an art to offensive rebounding as well
1: i i agree i think a lot of the small fundamentals are being lost in, in the game well i was trying to I pull a you lot in on it the,
2: rebounding of the rebounding side well, because yeah,
3: we I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love rebounding because for me, rebounding initiated the fast break. And uh, mm-hmm. when I was at Tennessee, that was one of our forte's. You get the rebound. Sometime I would get the rebound outlet and I'd beat everybody else down court. And I, I just mm-hmm. I loved it.
1: Well, you guys are running the four hundred. I can imagine, and you were beating a lot of people up and down the court.
2: <laughs> yeah, like I said, Trish was that transitional post player. You know, a lot of post players uh, don't run the floor like that, but she was she was one of those uh, kind of ahead of her time in that in that respect. One of those post players that just like Akeem Olajuwon would you know get the rebound and finish at the other end.
1: Now in high school you played three on three. Mm-hmm. Like my mom. Yes, did. I did. So, did you play three on mm-hmm. three, Liz?
2: So yep. what was yep. that- and Iowa,
1: Oklahoma,
2: yeah, those states. And 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 ironically, those were the states with the biggest girls' basketball following. Because that's just how it was played then.
1: But what was that transition like going from three on three to five on five in college? Well for me it was easy because in
3: Georgia we played a uh, rover. We had oh. the, we played rover. And so you always had two players going back and forth the whole time. And then the other two would stay either were just guards or were just forwards, scorers. Okay. And so I was a rover. So I was used to going up and down.
2: We didn't have a rover, but the trend I agree with Trish the Transition, ironically, was was pretty easy. Uh, obviously, you had to learn, you know, learn with having five people out there versus three on one end mm-hmm. and you know. But once we, you know, got acclimated rather easily, I would say.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the game of three on three. Just, I mean, I'm talking, I don't know what I'm assuming it looked the same. It's, it's harder to play. It's harder to defend. I mean, there's so much space on the court that's open. I, I'm I'm thinking once you got the 5-on-5, five five, at least defensively, it didn't feel like as much of a stretch.
3: It was just, for me, it was just a say, total was different mindset. Go ahead,
2: Trish.
3: I said, for me, it was just a total different mindset. Uh, because you know, with the three on three, you, there was a lot of picking, a lot of cutting, mm-hmm. uh, and so with the five on five, you still did that, but not to that extent.
2: Um, for me, and you know, I think what you'll find too, because you play guard or you play forward. The guards defend, the forward shoot, and that kind of set up my defensive skills early and some never got to play offense but luckily for me i got to play both you know i played guard and then i my senior year i was a forward i was on the offensive where, where i was able to score
1: yeah but so you um, play mostly defense does that mean is, is that where you got most of your defensive skills from because you play defense only when you play three on three i, I would say yes yeah.
2: I would say yes, it proved to be. And, and the coaching. I had a coach, coach uh, I had two coaches in high school, Coach Ernie Lawrence, who really believed in me and brought me up as a freshman of varsity. And then Coach John Shoemake, who's still uh, in my hometown, and I speak too often, taught me the importance of angle. It sounds like a simple thing, but if you know, a lot of people move laterally, but they don't move at the angle. So he taught me the importance of angles, not just on defense, but in basketball, you pass at the angle, you cut at the angle. And so with that, I rarely got beat baseline because I understood that you have to get ahead mm-hmm. and put them off at the angle. Now, when I went to UNLV, Dan Ayala, who um, – used to coach with Jerry Tarkanian before he took over the women's program. And that's when Title IX rolled in in 75, and we became the first scholarship, uh, I mean, Title IX-funded f- team with the first scholarship student-athletes. I'd gone to Temple Junior College two years before that, and we won the first NJCAA national championship playing for Hall of Famer Fran Garman. And so Coach Shoemaker taught this run, glide, run step, they called it. I I later renamed it crossover recovery step. So Uh that, along with the coaching and these just really um, eye-opening, game-changing things, helped me defensively, helped me become the, uh, the defensive player that I became. So it was just tough to, for anybody to beat me when I was armed with those things. And that run, glide, run, or crossover recovery step, I haven't seen it in basketball anywhere. I have taught it to the teams I've coached, but I haven't seen it anywhere. So it was really genius. People like Sharks, amoeba defense, you know, but that that step, and I got that from Coach Ayala, and I always pay homage to him. And whoever I coach, I say, you have to acknowledge where this came from because you just don't see that taught.
1: It's really now, Trish, you played in the '76 Olympics and you won the silver medal, and that was the first time women's basketball was in the Olympics. Going to a right, small right. college, um, how did you find yourself on this history-making Olympic team?
3: Well, it was <laughs> it was ironic. I, I should I should credit Colleen Matsuhara because. I would, my, my coach took me to the Pan American tryouts. And I made it to the final cut. And I remember a lady named Alberta Cox. She came over to me at the end. She saw how upset I was because I had never been cut from anything. And she just kind of put her arms around me. She said, Young lady, you are very talented. She said, but you go back to college, and you get a little bit stronger. Because I was like skinny as a beanpole. Mm -hmm. You get a little more stronger. And she said, you'll be ready by the 1976 Olympic team. And I was like, Olympic team? There's women's basketball in the Olympics? And, you know, they say words matter. Um, I don't think that woman realized her planting that seed. Uh, really motivated me that following year because I found myself in the gym all the time. But after I got cut, uh, Colleen Mazzara came over to me and she said, um, you know, we have a summer league out in California. She said, if you'd like to go, she said, I could get you a sponsor and, um, you know, pay for your expenses and everything. So I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. I've never been to California before.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so I spent the whole summer out in California, and it was um it was a summer league out there. And you have people like Annie Myers played in it. Rita Euclid played in that summer league. Um, Nancy Dunkel. I mean, it was a lot of people played in that summer league. And the thing about it is Annie Myers made the Pan-American team. Nancy Dunkel made the Pan-American team. There were a couple other people that made that Pan-American team, and I didn't. But I got MVP of the summer league, hmm. and so Billy Moore was out there, and they did an article. I still have that article in the in the LA Times about how I got cut and how I was out there tearing the league up and everything. Billy came over and watched me fight. and I I knew she was up in the stands because Colleen had told me she was gonna be up there. I mean, I tore it up. I tore it up. I had a awesome game and you know nancy don't for billy moore and nancy couldn't stay with me she couldn't i mean she couldn't do nothing with me and so when it came time for the olympic tryout really had already seen me compete and she liked what she saw and um uh, you know they picked me over carol carolyn butcherati you remember carolyn Booth? Liz, you remember oh, Carolyn Bush? Oh, of course. Yeah, I, I do. do. Yeah, Carolyn Bush was on that Pan Am team. And so they picked me in her spot. Mm. Carolyn thought she was going to be on that Olympic team, but she wasn't. They picked me instead. And so that's how I ended up uh, on that Olympic team.
1: And then what was your experience like playing in the Olympics?
3: Well, it was awesome. Most of the girls that were on that Olympic team had already either been on a Pan Am team, they had already played international basketball. There were like three newcomers, no, four newcomers on that Olympic team. It was me, Cindy Brogdon, Nancy Lieberman, and Gail Marquis. We were the four that had never played any international basketball. And uh, I was like wide-eyed. I mean, everything was so new. The girls were so good. And it made mm-hmm. me elevate my game. And I was just following Lucy around like, you know, she was my big sister or something because she was my idol, you know? That's all you heard about at that time was Lucy Harris. Delta that had already won a national championship before the Olympics. So, you know, I, I tried to emulate Lucy, but at a quicker speed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, this, this year we lost two basketball legends. Um, and you just mentioned Lucy, Lucy Harris and Althea Gwynn. And what impact has this had on you guys personally? It was it was devastating for me.
2: I, I think more so for Trish because she with Lucy because they were friends and they stayed in touch. But we had just spent uh time with Lucy at the Hall of Fame. -hmm. And Trish had uh, called and set up a time for us to go to her hotel, her to come to her hotel room, and we just visited and talked and laughed. And Althea, same way, we in 2018 we seen her at the uh, induction trailblazers, the WBL Trailblazer, we won Trailblazers of the game, and we'd been talking. And I had been talking to uh, Althea about coming back. We knew she wasn't doing well, but I never anticipated that. So. I think for me, as we're trying to get our story told, we lost two voices, two great giants um, of our era, and of the game overall. And we've lost their voice. Uh, uh, the, the wonderful thing is, Lucy, we have the her, her queen of the queen of basketball documentary, but it's not the same as having her see this come to fruition a lot of mm. people don't realize Lucy played in the WBL because she only played two games and she oh. she became a mother she was pregnant and her knees were this is out of her mouth her knees were starting to go bad but she chose family and boy was that a great choice because her children turned out to be phenomenal you know they're all doctors of something you know and so Laurie, I'll let Trish, let Trish speak to that too because of her relationship with her. But for our generation, her generation was just so hurtful and such a huge loss, especially in lieu of the fact that we are trying to bring this generation and their contributions to the sport to the light. And we lost two of the biggest, oh, right?
3: And for me, uh, I always stayed in touch with Lucy a Christmas card, a birthday card. She, Lucy loved to write letters. I mean, she was not uh, a techie at all. Lucy believed in writing letters. And actually, I ran across a letter that she had written just the other day, going through some old mail. But, um But we would all keep in touch with each other. And so the last time I saw Lucy uh, was in October. She came to Atlanta to do an interview. And I went to her hotel. And we just talked about everything. We talked about life. Of course, we always talk about our Olympic experience and mm-hmm. you know, how Lucy never liked to run because she didn't run that much <laughs> with the state. They waited for her down the court and she no. the ball, threw the ball in there. She's so much bigger and stronger than everybody. She just turned and scored. And she was that way without the Olympics.
2: But Billy was not
3: having that. Billie but made you know her what,
2: Trish? You can be bigger and stronger and What's not saying? and not score too. I said you can be bigger and stronger and not score too. People, I've heard people say that. Well, she was so much bigger and stronger than everybody else. And you know, we yeah, played against she, bigger, stronger people. They still couldn't score. But she scored she had a beautiful shot.
3: Yeah, she she scored. She was good. Mm-hmm. She was very good. Mm-hmm. And it, and and a lot of the pictures that they showed uh, after her death. A lot of the pictures, I'm in those pictures. Oh. I'm I'm just standing there staring watching Lucy. (laughs) They show one of her Olympic pictures where she was scoring, and I'm standing there boxing out watching Lucy. They showed another picture um, of of Tennessee playing Delta State, and I'm standing there watching Lucy. (laughs) And then they show one of me posting up with her. That's that one picture, Liz, that you have. Where she mm-hmm. signed it and sent it to me. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, we posting just posted that for Black
2: History Month. We just posted that on our yeah. social media for Black History Month and got a lot of, of comments about it. Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, it's devastating.
2: It's devastating. Yeah.
1: Who would you compare her game to today? Mm, that's
3: interesting. Nobody. <laughs> I'm to, I know, I know. Oh.
2: No, she oh, she, she I, I think we're in we're in an era of positionless basketball that they call it, you know? And uh so a uh, Candace Parker, for example, could play very different positions. I don't even look at her as a post player because she's always on the perimeter and she posts up, but uh in this positionless basketball era, just seeing that post player that will just go down and get on the block and make post moves and score from the block, you know, so it's it's difficult for me to think of somebody right off the bat.
3: Yeah, you would never see Lucy out on the wing shooting jumpers. Mm-hmm. You would never okay. see her doing that. Now, Val, you were pretty much a position post player.
2: Yeah. Yes. You, you, you played down
3: low and you occasionally at the free throw elbows but you were a position player i remember that
1: yeah i was um as i got older i would face up but i still love and i still do and i try to play against my son back to the <laughs> basket I, and i i appreciate anyone that has post moves when i watch tv and i see a nice post oh. move i i appreciate it so much because they're Not trying to the, the position extinct Yes, they are. That's what it
2: feels like. Positionless basketball. You know, the, the post players want to step out and shoot threes, and that's great if you can, but that's still the highest percentage shot down there. So, yes. I don't yep. understand that part. Yeah. So I much can
1: happen. You get that ball inside. You can double team, you can pass it out, you can draw a foul. I mean, so much can happen. So, mm-hmm. um, nothing yeah. like the old fashioned.
2: I love yeah. a high low game. I love a
1: high low yeah. offense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, Stanford is a little bit of high-low and um, at North Carolina, they have a dominant post. I mean, sorry, excuse me, South Carolina. But I haven't yeah. really been, I haven't seen many other schools. I don't know what you guys think about that.
2: I just watched South Carolina last night at uh, Texas A&M, Coach Gary Blair's last, uh, last game on that home court. He's retiring and they were all, all operating on all cylinders and yeah i loved i love the high low game i love that they move i love that uh, boston moves you know she doesn't just stand still she's screening she's yeah, rolling yeah she's very mobile she'll, she'll my, and they'll send you know reverse the ball through her but she's always going back to the block so i love that
1: yeah me me too and she's the nicest person i mean off the court i hope she has she's she gets it done on the court, but she's and Dawn um, speaks so highly of her her her, her basketball IQ. <clears throat> mm-hmm.
3: I can see her getting national. Yeah, they, the they were fun to I watch last week. They yeah. are,
2: They have so much depth. I'm telling you. Um, yeah, they were fun to watch. Staff, they're, they're, that's, the most, the, that's the most athletic team I might have ever seen. I mean, just just pure athletes, all of them. Yeah. You know, her stats may not be
3: as high as other players. They're really pushing a kid from Iowa, a yeah, guard from Iowa, yeah. who's averaging a lot of points. But she's not as good as Aaliyah Boston. Boston is the truth.
1: Yeah, I think post players don't get, like, our game is not necessarily exciting. Um, like a um, Clark, she's pulling up from half court, and that excites people. So I think mm-hmm. um, that's why Leah Boston good. is not she's being talked good. about now because her, her game is, you know, it's I,
2: I was listening mm-hmm. to Carolyn Peck um, and the other announcers. I can't remember who was talking about her. And they. I think it was Stephanie White, Carolyn Peck, and I'm trying to think who the other one was. But um, they were looking at the three players who were up for player of the year. And it was Caitlin Clark, of course, and then Aaliyah Boston. And, um, oh, the third one, I can't – and they all cho- went with Aaliyah Boston because oh, of her consistency, because of the double du- – and she got a double-double last night because of the double-double she's, double double she's averaging own. and um, just how she's, um, you know, keeping that team – in the number one status, you know, if they uh, uh, go all the way, that'll be a testament to Dawn and her staff and, and, and the way those kids have bought in. But they all felt that what she's done this year and from last year with her body, you know, just changing her body type and working out with Tim Duncan and her face-up game, her three-point shot. I mean, she she's going from block to elbow to three-point shot. To three-point so... And then her rebounding, her offensive and defensive rebounding. So, yeah, she's been very consistent. And we I'm and we do far. watch the game. We, this is the thing, Val. We have never left the game. Uh, you're looking at Trish and I right here. About 60 years of coaching between the two of us, and our group uh, has over a thousand years of coaching. We were coaching when you were playing, Val. Mm-hmm. And so we've never left the game and we have impacted and influenced the game. And it's just amazing that our era, that 70s Title IX era, we're about to become, we call it the triad now Title IX Trailblazers of the Game, AIAW Trailblazers of the Game, and WBL Trailblazers of the Game. Those are, uh, this year, Title IX is going into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame as Trailblazers of the Game. We went in in 2018 and then again as AIAW participants in 2019. So you're looking at an era that literally changed the trajectory. We really kind of set the template, laid the template for today's modern day basketball. And so how do you Mm -hmm. not recall an era where it all began with Title IX, pre-NCAA, pre-WNBA? I just don't understand why it's so hard to not go back and look at your era. They can name a men's player from our era, but they can't name a female player from our era. You know, and that just takes a little bit of research, and we're trying to change that. We're trying desperately to change that, and we are actually launching a Title IX initiative called Know Their Names, Speak Their Names, and Althea's death and Lucy's death helped push this forward. We had an historical initiative that we were launching, but they helped push this part forward because to hear people go, oh, I didn't know about her. I never heard of her. How do you not know somebody who scored the first basket in the Olympic game, who won three national championships, who was the first woman drafted by the NBA? That's true that the women should know. Not that we pattern everything after the men, but you looked at this year's All-Star Game, and every year, they have their They're veteran players on display. They revere them. They honor them. They include them. They literally give them a seat at the table. Our era, they don't know who we are, so we're not invited to anything like that. And yet, if you Mm. connect the dots, they lead back to us. You connect the dots to this game today, they will lead you back to that Title IX, AIAW, WBL, Trailblazer,
1: So speaking of the WBL and we're going to call it the original W um, it's the, it was the first women's basketball pro league in the U S and the longest running second to the WNBA. And I played in a league called the ABL, which Mm -hmm. was lasted two and a half years. Um, The ABL doesn't get a lot of of love either. (laughs) No, (laughs) 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 not know, and And I, I, I loved the ADL. And Trish coached. I love that Trish, Um Trish,
3: yeah, I, Trish coached the I coached the the Atlanta ADL.
1: Glory the first That's appearance. right. That's right.
2: Yeah.
1: So you coached well, uh, T. Well, Edwards in um, Tree.
3: Well, my experience wasn't as good as yours. Oh, it wasn't? No. I had, there just was not enough basketball for the players that I had. I had uh, Saudia Roundtree. Yeah. I had Nisi Johnson. I had Carla McGee. Yeah. Stacy Lovelace. Lovelace Teresa Edwards, Edwards. Cornelius Gayton, at the time, was the leading scorer in the S. F- what
1: was, what was mm-hmm. the experience like playing in the w- WBL?
2: It was... I wrote. I write a, a lot of thoughts on the WBL. I'm always writing thoughts and memories. And um, we, Title IX gave us an opportunity to get scholarships and play basketball in college. Um, we had just fallen in love with that sport and that game and thought that our love affair was coming to an end. That's how I like to phrase it. So when the WBL came along, it was like, continuing a love affair and uh, I was blessed to play for the Chicago hustle because Chicago was the premier team in the league we had the okay. fan support it's funny they talk about the um, Chicago sky and how the, t- the the town gather around them the, the, mm-hmm. that was the same thing with the hustle we didn't win the championship. But we had the best fans in the league. We packed alumni gym. We played at DePaul University. We had the Bulls came out to watch us. The Bears came out to watch us. The Blackhawks, the the Cubs, the White Sox, they came out to watch us play. So this is not new men supporting female athletes. That's not new either. We scrimmaged Walter Payton and those guys and Richard Dent, the Good News Bears, we used to scrimmage them for publicity and fundraising. You know their team. Uh, we were treated like the other pro athletes in the, in the city. So for us, it was it was beyond our wildest dreams and expectations. And then it was just literally ripped ripped away. And so, as quickly as we continued that love affair, the love affair was over. You know. So, but. It was, we also, it didn't take us long to realize we were doing, it was bigger than us. We were doing something to lay a template for the future. It was not lost on us that if we can make this last girl, little girls and those who are in college coming behind us would have a place to to go to play. So that was not lost on us. So we took that on as well. The true trailblazing pioneering attitude of, doing something for the greater good of women in sports and women in basketball in particular.
1: Well, I feel like when I was in the ABL, I was just clueless and and so selfish because I wasn't thinking yeah. about who was coming behind me. I was just thinking about I need to have my money and what are my stats and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I wish I had the, the vision that you had. Um, mm-hmm. you were playing at the wbl when where where were you when you found out the wbl um was going under i had i had just graduated oh
2: when i found out it was going under yes
1: i was in chicago
2: i was in chicago i played the first two years of the league i didn't play my the, the last year i was working for our team president former team president john garrity so i was in chicago And uh, there were signs the second year. There was the first year, we just knew we were off and running. And the second year, there were signs. But um, by the third year, you know, teams were going under and players walking off for not getting paid, rumblings that you heard. But Mm -hmm. we just always thought it would come back. I started working out again. I worked at the East Bank Club in Chicago, it just opened up this big, beautiful health club. And I worked out every day thinking.
1: Oh, ABL folded. We were on um, Christmas break, and I was home with my parents. Mm. I was sitting in the family room, and my my phone rang, and it was a reporter, and and he was like, "Val, um, I'm just calling to interview you on your thoughts of the ABL folding," and I was like, "What? I had I, I I'll call you back. Click." And I, I don't, I don't know who I called. but I called my agent. Am I even sure? And that's how, that's how I found out. And it was, I honestly, personally, was shocked um, when I talked to um, other athletes like Sylvia Crawley. Um, she says she wasn't shocked. Yeah. She saw the signs, like you said, the signs. She saw the signs as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and how did you feel? Did you? How did you feel when when it folded? I was, I did, was... You know w, did you know that Did you know that Did you know that you would have a
1: chance to play in the WNBA
2: though?
1: Um because of the how how I was playing in the ABL like my stats and I thought I had a chance. Um mm-hmm. I had before signing with the the ABL, I was talking with the WNBA, a couple of w, WNBA teams. So I knew I'd had it. Mm-hmm. I would have a chance, but all, so many players lost their jobs, and it was only I think um, just twenty spots available for us in the WNBA draft that year, and it was yeah. hard because the collective bargaining agreement just got signed, and they put a limit on how many ABL players could be on each team, knowing that the wow. ABL at the time had the stronger players and it could take this place of a lot of WBA teams. So a lot of ladies lost their job. We even had one player even end up committing suicide. She was so distraught over not playing basketball anymore.
2: Oh my. Yeah. Oh my. Wow. Well, I don't, yeah. I mean, Molly Bolin uh, often talks about just being lost for years after you know, Sorry, the because that was the plan I'm going to do. I'm going to play into my thirties, you know? And she was one of the younger players that came into the league. So nobody, you know, mm. and, and when I say that we never left the game out of that league, you got so many coaches and the WBCA was founded the same year that league folded. And mm. so we went into coaching. We went into okay. every profession, our title nine education afforded us too, though. I want to talk about that. Women went into all professions law, uh, police, the the law enforcement, uh, doctors. Um, You know, it was the coaching, though, that I think we made our greatest impact. And if you played in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, you most likely played for a WBL former player. Or mm. you played for somebody they coached, and a lot of us can trace that back. I mean, for example, Rita Swindell coached Teresa Weatherspoon in high school. You know, so that is not known. The, the, the players that we coached, and I've coached several players that made it into the WNBA, and I've coached players who became coaches and coached players, and those players right. are coaching players. So that's how, that's how we got our mantra, passing it on, paying it forward. And all of this we're trying to get out. We're just trying to get out all this knowledge in the hope that you will just connect to the past and eventually be inspired by this generation in the 70s who really laid the template for the game as it is today. And as we're celebrating 50 years of Title IX... It warrants a look back on those 50 years. Take a look back on those 50 years and see who I've often heard uh, players say we were Title IX babies and you're eight, you're uh, 12, 14 years in. We gave, I say we gave birth to Title IX. You know, we put it into motion. We came along. So um, I would hope that people would take a look back. And Val, we're launching this initiative, Know Their Names, Speak Their Names, and part of it is a project with the NCAA college teams that all the WBL players play for. It's called Find Your Trailblazer. So we're inviting the coaches and the players the Sports Ooh. Information Directors, we want the broadcasters to talk about it. Go to your university. They're still in the record book. Trish is still a record holder at Tennessee. Rether still holds records at Texas. And we still hold records at UNLV. Adrian is still second all-time leading scorer and rebounder at Kansas. So if you would go back and look at your record books, you're going to find a WBL trailblazer. And we hope when they complete that project, they will complete that form and get it back to us and say, we found our trailblazer. So that's a project we're working on, and we hope that we're going to collaborate mm. with the Women's Sports Foundation uh, and some other organizations because a lot of people, a lot of groups are doing special projects to honor and celebrate Title IX, and that's one of the ones that we're doing. And we're also doing a WBL trailblazer project where we're talking, about, we're, uh, counting the number of years that. WBL Players Coach, we call it a thousand plus. And we're also inviting them to tell their Title IX story. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put them all together in public and hope that that'll also be inspiring to know somebody at your university that was the first African American, the first scholarship athlete, the first all-American, the first to play on an Olympic team. And they're at your university who still holds records. And if they go down that journey and complete that project, I think they'll be enlightened and hopefully inspired.
1: I know before we, I hit record, we were talking about Highlight Her, and I feel like you would be perfect because speaking to Ari today, she wants to uh, we would- amplify and ele- elevate the stories that aren't being told. Oh my goodness. Well, have we got a story for you
2: highlight her? <laughs> I think it would be yeah. a perfect fit in,
1: in any way. I can make that happen. I will. I will. I
2: think, yeah. Well, we would love for that to happen because uh,
1: I want to talk about our story
2: um, pal, so many uh-huh. Layers. Like, so many layers and so many, inspiring individual stories. Now everything is—it wasn't great, but there's. if you peel back the layers, you're gonna find so many different stories that you can connect all the way up to today's game.
1: I remember when I was on the podcast with you guys and Mike, you talked about Trish having a hand in so many different people or being connected it was. I think. So you remember that? So how hey. Trish is connected?
3: <laughs> I think what I think what we we're talking about was to how I'm connected is that since Title Nine, uh, I was a player, then I coached. Um, I was an Olympian. Uh, I was a professional player. Um, so in, in 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 those steps. Um, I was connected. Am I saying this correctly, Liz? I mean, there's just so many layers of it that I was involved. in WBL, ABL, Olympics, college ball. Yeah,
2: what? Yeah, you're saying it right, Trish. What? What when we Coach try May, to promote that's, that's- is that um, we never left. We never left the game. We never left the game. So. Just take Trish's story, for example, and you can take all of ours. Take Trish's story. You know, coming out as we talk about this amazing group of firsts, Trish was Pat Summitt's first African-American player. She was her first All-American, took her to her first Final Four. And actually, they had played together on that Olympic team. And then as you continue in her career, she goes on to coach and become the first African-American coach at the University of Maine. Uh, and a head coach at michigan and then she continues in her coaching career in college and you know she's in the abl and then she resurfaces again as a coach and so we never left the game and the impact is everywhere you can take everybody's individual story and see how they not only impacted young girls and women in sports but it transcends sports those especially who went on to other professions anita ortega was just for example went on to become a captain in the lapd you know had a story career in, in law enforcement lisa thomas is a biochemist and we have lawyers and doctors And so that title line education was put to use and they have been empowering generations on and off the court. And Trisha's story is just one of those shining examples of um, a or a trailblazer that has had her handprints all over the game. Like most of us, our handprints are all over the game. You can find any kind of story. You talk about highlight her, you can highlight her, you can highlight her, you can highlight all of us in some way mm-hmm. and connect the dots the present.
1: Now, um, Doug Bruno, legendary coach, well respected. He's on your advisory board and even won the Carol Ekman Award. But I got to know what happened that day in the and, Chicago Hustle. And if
2: you want to know the truth, he was defending us and
1: defending his player you know, who was
2: fouled really Thank hard you and right. was, uh, you know, caused her weren't being made. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was talking about our advisory board, Val, Doug, uh, Bruno, of course, Annie Myers, and Drysdale, Nicole nice Brown, nice Fran Gorman. Fran you know, um, we just feel that we have a phenomenal, and Ray Pond, the Ray Pond, uh, who we're la- launching a campaign to get her into the Hall of Fame. Because every player that during that era and your era always say, if not for Ray, you know, if not for Ray and the Nike campaign that they launched, where would that 96 team be? And it helped propel the W the ABL and the WNBA. And she's proud of that. And Sue bird recently win for KC awards broke from her speech. And the first thing she did is I want to acknowledge Ray Pond because if it wasn't for Ray, So I think when you look at contributors of the game like that, you have to listen to the people who are giving her these accolades and telling you, Ruthie Bolton, Cheryl Swoop, Cynthia Cooper, our nomination video that we submitted says it all. So we're very lucky and blessed to have the advisory board that we have. And they all have helped guide us, have helped uh, push us and our mission along and continue to just advocate for us.
1: Trish, is there anything you'd like to add?
3: No, I'm just uh, I'm thrilled um, to be a part of Liz's vision for LOB. Uh, when they asked me to join, I wasn't sure, but... Um, uh, After being um, involved with Love the last three years and seeing what we've done, what we would like to do, Mm -hmm. our vision of what we want to do, um, it's going to be good. It's really going to be great. And uh, Liz, I don't know if you spoke uh, to Val or not about uh, um, what we're trying to do with the documentary.
2: no, but I didn't really speak about the documentary. I spoke do about and, our initiative um, that we're launching. Yeah. And is as with any documentary, Val, we need funding. <laughs> oh. No, no, no. Okay. This is our own. We're part of a couple of documentaries, and there was a great Sports Illustrated article. It's a tragic story about Connie Koonsman, who was one of our WBL sisters, who was murdered. Uh, when she was playing for the Nebraska Wranglers the third year. That's a, if you want to check out that, it's out now, the March issue of Sports Illustrated. And it talks more about Connie, and uh, we wanted to focus on what she brought to the game, not just how she died. But uh, that's a good article. But, um, right. And we're part of a couple of documentaries coming up, the 1996 documentary and the 50 for 50 documentary. But we're looking to do our own. Our story is that important. It's that broad that it needs to be told. So we're, you know, looking for funding and looking for someone to champion, be a champion for us, much like Shaq did for Lucy. I mean, Shaq stepped in and helped get her. Imagine with us losing her and we didn't get that documentary done and losing more and more WBLers and people who are important in that era. And the story is the history is best told by the history makers, by those who lived it. So we feel that we're in a race against time right. and we are looking for that champion to step up and help us get our documentary and our story told. Or champions. <laughs>
1: Is that why you started Legends of the Ball? To tell your story and to inspire the the, the kids coming behind you?
2: Absolutely, um, it started for me—not the actual actual idea of the nonprofit—but after our twenty-fifth reunion, and I went back. You know, we we all came together. It was like a league of their own. It's exactly like that movie starts out with them at the Hall of Fame, okay. though, and we're all coming in there and seeing each other and greeting each other. And we look back and then you go back and you realize people don't know about you, don't talk about you, don't acknowledge you. So that's been burning in my gut since 2003. After the 2018 induction, it was much of the same thing. And we were honored, but it's still people are still saying I didn't have any role models. You know, I didn't. I had to look to the men. There were no female role models. And after that induction, I was really inspired and fired up to get this. I'm like, but you did have female role models. You still do. And so trying to get this story told. And then I went to my friends. So if you look at our board, we're not your average board. We're all former WBL players. And so that's who um, founded this nonprofit. There were 12 of us initially, and now there are nine. And we're nine strong. And we're committed to uh, we give scholarships. We gave our first two scholarships last year. This year, we're giving six, and uh, we have fundraisers and we give back to the community. We do camps in underserved uh, communities, but our main focus we have we have a permanent display at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame that we raise funds for and got behind so that they can come in there and see our story. But promoting our historical relevance. It's what drives me. It's what drives the board. This story has to be told. And Val, even the ball that pl- everybody plays with today, Karen Logan, who was a former redhead, came to fame when she beat Jerry West in a game of horse during the Battle of the, Sexies in the se- Sexes in the 70s. That 28.5-inch ball debuted in the WBL. A lot of people think it debuted in the WNBA because of the panel hmm. ball. But we're talking the the idea, the concept, the size debuted in the WBL. People don't know that Karen Logan designed that ball and Wilson produced it. We're trying. We've reached out to Wilson to try to get them to do a collaborative um, promotion with us because that ball has come full circle. So there's just so much history that needs to be told. That's why we fight every day for love and our mission. And uh, we've got so many good things happening. But to tell our story through our documentary, we feel, is the best way. We can be more thorough and complete.
1: Okay. Now, this is on a different subject. Um, when I was playing basketball, and we're, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but I, I want to ask this because um, I've mental health is something that's really pa- I'm passionate about, especially when it comes to athletes. Did you guys ever struggle with your mental health during your playing careers? Oh, sure. I don't recall. Yeah, I
2: think Trish, you can talk. About this too. Go
3: ahead. Uh, I, I don't recall. Go ahead, Trish. Struggling. I don't recall struggling from mental health. Um, what I recall is sometimes the way I was treated,
2: um, mainly by. And being Trish, what young about your glasses. injuries? Because you were you were one of the premier well, players in the league, and did, did that did that not cause you any kind of anguish?
3: It did, but I don't think it affected me to the point where I could honestly say that I was mentally disturbed by it. I mean, you know, you have mm-hmm. your doubts sometimes, you feel sorry for yourself, uh, but it made me work harder. That's what it did. So, no, I don't, I, I personally, I don't think I did. I may have and just not known it, but mm-hmm. I don't think I did.
1: Do you got? Do you have any experience of having well, teammates I, I that think, were struggling?
2: I I felt that uh, it was difficult for um, a lot of reasons. You know, I think uh, as much as we enjoyed it, and I look back, I choose. I wrote this line once before about, "I choose to make my memories perfect." You know, when I think about that, because there was certainly more good than bad. But yeah, I mean, Deborah Waddy and I went through some uh, racial events. This is in the 70s. And, uh, you know, so we experienced like Trish talked about how she was treated, maybe. But we experienced some things like that, some anguish and the stress of um, trying, you know, staying on the team, the stress of still, you know, trying to. Uh, of the league folding. I, like I said, Molly Bowen spoke to that. I, I guess I would say that that really impacted Molly and because she has spoken about it publicly. Uh, I, I feel comfortable talking about it, but it just really rocked her world, you know, losing the sport yes. that you put so much time in.
3: But but Liz, that that was also the era when a lot of uh, a lot of basketball players from our era was going overseas. That was the beginning of the going overseas to play basketball because it was the only thing they had. That was the only way that they can continue to play was to go overseas. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and that's another point that we made too. Going overseas didn't start recently. We've been, women have been going overseas to play basketball for decades. Oh, yeah. But I think it was during our era. That yes, was it was the beginning of when they started going. Absolutely. Oversea. Just like so many I mean, other firsts, so many other beginnings. Because if it wasn't for Title I, right. there would be no WL, there would be no overseas play if it wasn't for Title Nine. And so we, we opened those doors as well. We opened those doors. We opened so many doors for these generations after us to walk through. And I think if they just knew, I think things would change. The narrative would change. We would have a seat at the table. We would be part of the conversation because there's opportunities when I watch games for broadcasters to easily parlay into our era. If you watch the men, they do it. You know, and every now and then they'll speak about Annie or Blaze or Nancy, you know, our era every now and then, but there's so many opportunities to talk about the other generations. And this is the other thing, Val, we are the forgotten, but but you're starting to see what we call the new forgotten. Everybody doesn't remember Cheryl Swoops or Cynthia Cooper or Val Whitey and People, so if you don't correct it, those of you who are popular, you will become the new forgotten. If the women don't get it right and start honoring and paying homage and recognizing every era for what they gave to this game, you know, and you have greatness among you, you have pioneers and trailblazers among you who would love to tell their story and be an inspiration or educational, motivational, inspirational is what we say. We're right here just waiting to tell that story.
1: Yes, ma'am.
3: And I truly believe it will be told.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely that needs shack. to be told, and it's not just um, yeah, young
2: people. <laughs> LeBron, yep, yeah, just sure. just help us tell so our story, knowing what sure they can understand. What would? Was-
1: Well, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your 18 year old self?
2: What what advice would I give to my 18 year old self? Oh wow. Mhm. I would probably say, um, if it's if it relates to basketball, um, I would probably, and it's not that I wasn't a hard worker, but I probably would have done more in the off season, you know, uh, when it, when it relates to basketball. But my 18 year old self, I, my 18 year old self all the way through my pro career was pretty happy. That part of my life was pretty happy. One of the best parts of my life. So I would say maybe soak it in more because we were just kind of in the moment, Uh, soak it in a little bit more, appreciate all the little things because we didn't know that it was gonna to come to an end. We thought we'd be playing into our thirties, you know? So I would say soak in every, every bit of those uh, ones. And, and also that 18 year old, our 18 year old selves, Trish became our 60 year old selves because it created a sisterhood <laughs> that is still resonating today with our board. All of us met each other when we were young, in our, you know, just fresh out of college. And all I remember, Trish and I coaching all the years we'd mm-hmm. meet up on the road and we would laugh and have fun and reminisce. And that bond was mm-hmm. forged through the WBL, through our collegiate years and our time together in the WBL. And our board is reflective of that. We, you know, mm-hmm. that's where we all met in the WBL. So it turned out pretty good from that respect. Sure
0: did.
3: Well, I would say for me, I would tell my 18-year-old self, I would have asked more questions uh, because um, I grew up in a, in a home where, you know, we didn't ask a lot of questions. So when I went away to college, um, I found myself doing the same thing I was at home. I would just sit and observe and watch, but I wouldn't ask questions. Would I have taken a different route of uh, my college career? I would say no, because I didn't know any better. I, I mean, when I went to college, I went to my high school and I used my guidance counselor to help me get into college. And which is the first college that responded to me, that's where I went. And the coach left after my first year, and I followed the coach out to Kansas. And I had the same coach for three years, but I only played at Tennessee one year. If, if I could change things, I would say I would have loved to have played at Tennessee all four years.
1: Okay. I would love to talk about your experience at Tennessee, especially being Pat Summitt's first African-American player and her first All-American and winning her first national championship. Um, you got a lot of firsts there and I, hopefully they'll get you a jersey in the rafters one of these days. But could you, could you touch on how it was playing there?
3: Well, it was different. And I can honestly say it was probably the best year of, of basketball that I had had up to that point. Um, of course, Pat and I was on the same Olympic team and uh, after that we formed a, a very close bond she was the captain of the team so she was always coaching and uh, i always found myself sitting next to her like when i come off the floor um uh, during substitution i don't know if this was intentional or not but there will always be a seat You'll always have a seat right there next to her and she was always in my ear and uh so um uh, i had mentioned to lucy that I wanted to transfer because I didn't want to go back to King, uh, Emporia State because I felt that at the level that I was playing right now, that uh, I, I just couldn't go back to that level. I mean, I was doing everything. I was rebounding, I was dribbling down the court, I was starting the offense. I, You know, I was felt like I was doing everything and I didn't want to go back there after playing with all those great girls in the Olympics. And, the Olympics. and so, Pat got wind of my conversation with Lucy and she came over to me and asked if I would be interested in transferring to the University of Tennessee. Mm. So, I did. And uh, when I got there, first thing she said was our roles have now changed. We're no longer teammates. I'm the coach. You're the player. And I really, I didn't have any problems with that because I was there to play basketball. I mean, If if I had known she was going to be as great of a coach uh, as she was, um, I mean, I probably would have listened to her a little bit more because a lot of the stuff that we were doing is stuff that we did during the Olympics. So I was always one step ahead of her and definitely a a step ahead of my teammates. She pushed me to be the best that I could be and... um, she allowed me to excel, which means that I did things at University of Tennessee that no other player had done. And I mm-hmm. still have done things that no other players have done, even though there's been some great players that have come to Tennessee. Um, those records that I said have been ingrained in the, in the record books for over 45 years.
1: Wow. You hold 11 of them, correct?
3: yes and and to this day i don't know how i did it because everything was so easy and so natural (laughs) i'm not bragging but it was just it was easy to score i mean they'd have two or three people on me and i still score i I don't know it was just easy
1: (laughs) how how was it being an african-american player during that era Being the only
3: one. um, Yes. At Tennessee, it was good uh, around the athletic department. But, you know, when you go to classes and everything, sometimes you're the only black person in the classroom. That became a little, you know, intimidating at times, especially when you had to do reports and, you know, public speaking. And, you know, like I said, you know, I I was always quiet. That was a little nerve wracking, but I, you know, I pushed my way through it. And um, Pat made sure that, you know, things was as easy for me as she possibly could, but there were some things that was out of her control, especially like when we traveled. And, you know, there were other schools that were not very kind, and um, hotels and things. Uh, We go to restaurants. Uh, A lot of times I'd be the last one to get my food and things like that.
1: Liz, did you experience any um, racial instances, incidents? Excuse me, when you were a player? Um,
2: yes, um, when I, I when we went to, when we were with the Hustle, we had uh, Deborah Waddy and I had said we could tell a story about that. Just um, trying to find housing you know and being turned away and uh i won't go into it but we played a trick on one lady who had um told us that she didn't have any availabilities and uh, any available apartments and we called in our in our most appropriate lay english uh spoke to her and she said oh yes we have apartments and we showed up and she said i told you we didn't have anything and we said well we have an appointment at one so we laughed about it but it really wasn't funny uh but just you know things like that, and sometimes with the fans, you know. And I think, but
3: hmm.
2: it's you know uh, we were breaking. I think anytime you have a trailblazer, anytime you're breaking down a barrier, you know whether it's Jackie Robinson or we don't we're not that we're putting ourselves on that level, but whether you're Jackie Robinson or whether you're Trish Roberts or you know you're breaking barriers and our era of women becoming the first African-Americans at our university on the basketball team. And some were the first African-American student athlete, you know, so hmm. it's anytime you break barriers and I, I think you're going to experience some form of resistance.
1: Well, that's, that's wisdom right there for any, Anything, not just sports. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to go into our rapid fire, uh, or this or that. These are random questions, really have nothing to do with sports, but just fun facts, and I just get to learn about you. So the first question is, salt or sugar in your grits?
3: Salt. Sugar. Well, you... Ah! (laughs) it used to be salt now it's nothing oh
1: i've never had sugar in my grits me either yep i have Um, i do does pineapple does pineapple belong on pizza no not for me not for me either Mm -hmm. um who was your high school celebrity crush
2: Ooh, Al Green. Um, <laughs> let's stay together. Yeah, yeah, I thought we were, no, how about Let's I Get Married? Say, <laughs> I can't even remember
3: his name. I can't remember his name, but I can tell you he played in um, Ladies Sings the Blues.
1: Billy D. Williams? Billy D. That's it. Yes. That's the movie right there. Yes. If it's here, I'll slick back. All right. Candy corn. Nope or dope? No.
2: Candy corn? (laughs) No, Liz. (laughs) Please say no. Did she say? (laughs) What did she say? Candy corn.
3: Candy corn. yes or
1: no yes uh, trish you don't like it i do but i don't i
3: don't uh i used to but not now Mm -mm. now.
1: okay if you had one if you had to eat one thing for every meal what would it what would you eat
2: I would eat, my mom is no longer with us, but it would have been my mother's cooking for sure, hands down, and anything.
1: (laughs) What's what's her specialty?
2: But I'm a seafood lover. I'm a seafood lover, so I'd have to say seafood. Meatloaf. What
1: did you say? Meatloaf. Meatloaf, oh, interesting. I love meatloaf. I love it. Not that much. I can't imagine eating meatloaf, but I I like my mom's meatloaf. Um, You can eat it for breakfast.
3: You can get some scrambled eggs. You can eat it for lunch. You can have meatloaf sandwiches. And then for dinner, you can have mashed potatoes and beans and meatloaf.
1: She has all the meals laid out.
2: (laughs) Breakfast? I don't think so. (laughs) Yes. Meatloaf and grilled cheese—that's
3: good. And grilled cheese. Oh my God! Yes. Oh
1: no. I'm learning something today. Anyway. Okay. What? What person, dead or alive, would you want to sit down and have coffee with? what did you say what person dead or alive would you like to sit down and have coffee with there's
2: so many but i'm gonna say maya angel so i've loved That's her my whole life, my oh, whole guys, life. She, i know why the cage bird sings changed my life and i was in high school when i read it and I have followed her poetry. She inspired me as a poet. I consider myself a poet and a writer. Um, she inspired me right up. I saw her um, at Texas A and M when she was touring. I saw her in the airport in Boston. Uh, she moved with such grace. You know, I can't wait to start collecting her quarters that we have now. The, the newest quarter of a woman. So I would just love love it. Well, I was gonna say Maya Angelou,
3: but I would say Nelson Mandela. Um, you can say Maya too. I just admire his strength. I mean, I don't know how. Well, yeah, her too, but Nelson Mandela. I think he would be an interesting person to talk to. I think the, the struggles that he had in prison for that many years for mm-hmm. to be an innocent man. Uh, just the strength. And then when he came out, how just humble he was. He wasn't angry at anybody or anything. Mm. I would just Mm. like to pick his brain.
1: Okay. Here's something not as heavy. If you were a professional wrestler, what would your entrance theme song be? (laughs)
2: <laughs> My
3: would, oh, yeah. would be I, I don't know the name of somebody goes something like this. I am woman, hear me roar. <laughs> yes. That's the name of <laughs> it. I am woman. Hello Freddie. <laughs> yes. That's what that would be mine. will be yours, Liz?
2: Oh my goodness,
1: I'm gonna have to pass. I can't think okay. we'll come back to it. Do yeah. you have a favorite cartoon character? <laughs> Daffy Duck. <laughs> yep, Daffy Duck. <laughs> Y'all know why he acts you know who he acts like? <laughs> oh, oh.
3: Um, I think mine would be the road runner. Oh, oh my yeah, yeah, I hate road runner. But you know why? Because it doesn't matter what happens to him; he always bounces back. He can get flattened by a car. He can whatever happens, he always bounces back. He's resilient. He never dies. But he, but he <laughs> wasn't
2: the one getting flattened by the car. Uh, yes, Trish. he was. <laughs> the it, no, it was the coyote that was try, always trying to catch him. Oh, it was the, the roadrunner. <laughs> That's well, what okay. got on my nerves okay. about it. Well, it's
3: the well, it's the roadrunner. Oh, road it's, it's the coyote on roadrunner.
2: Yeah, the That's coyote was always getting smashed by that acme. You know, by that <laughs> blown up. Yep. That's my favorite
3: character. He was resilient. He always bounced back.
1: All right. Would you rather travel to the past or to the future?
2: The past, definitely.
3: I'm torn. Because I've had some pain. And the future, you just don't never know. And I'm kind of excited about what the future holds. At the same time, a lot of friends, relatives are leaving this world so quickly. Um, but I'm I'm gonna yeah. say the future. The future. Yes.
1: All right. And last question: What is your go-to karaoke song? Karaoke song or a song you sing in the shower? <sighs>
2: Let me count the songs. <laughs> uh, anything Prince, anything Aretha? I'm seeing anything Aretha. Aretha Franklin. Hmm. Queen.
3: For me, is anything gospel? I love Tamara, Tamil
1: Man. What's your favorite time. song? Take Me yeah. to the King? Yes. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. Yeah. Well, before we close, is there anything that you would like to promote or plug?
2: I think uh, we've been doing that the whole time.
1: The whole time. Uh, you, know, you, know. you never could do it too much.
2: Yeah, we're looking to tell our story. It's a compelling story, it's a necessary story. Uh in order to connect the dots that will help today make sense and put it in perspective. And time is not on our side. And there's nobody that can tell the story. There's anybody better than
3: we out can there tell. that And if there's anybody out there that want to help, especially financially, please
1: feel free to do so. Well, how do we find you online? Well, we're
2: on Twitter, we're on um, Instagram, we are we have a website, and we're on Facebook, and we're going to be Facebook uh, we're amping that up. Our, our um, Legends of the Ball, Inc., okay, and, and you know, mm-hmm. either one, either platform, you can, and we're on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn has proved to be very valuable for us in making connections. That's how we connected with Michael, and eventually oh, you, Val. Yeah, and um, our website is being uh, uh, upgraded, so it'll, it'll be, you know, it'll be um, another two weeks or so. Yeah. You can find us Legends of the Ball if you Google in, in any of those platforms. You'll find us.
1: Well, thank Legends of the Ball Inc. Okay, Inc. Hmm. Well, thank you, Liz and Trish, for everything you've done for women's basketball. Thank you for coming on here for ninety minutes and sharing your story and sharing your time with me. Um, I hope you felt that I was we were able to get the message out that you wanted to get out to to the people. Thank you so much for giving us Thank a platform, you Val.
2: Val. That's all we Thank want you. is a platform to tell our story.
3: Thank you, Val. I enjoy reconnecting with you. It's been a while. And uh, we appreciate uh, your allowing us to be a part of this.
2: And to the, everybody out there, know your history. Know your history. Next month is Women in History Month. Know your history. Know your history.